With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Good Thursday morning. It's lovely to be back in the studio. I was on the phone last week, so and today I'm very pleased to have uh, two current tr- school district 57 trustees, uh, Cheryl Warrington, who is actually the chair of the school board, and Betty Beckering. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's begin with an introduction. Uh, let's start with let's start with Cheryl. You've been around a long time. Just tell us uh, for those people who maybe don't know a lot about you. Um, tell us about you, like who, where, where do you live? Um, what do you like to do for hobbies? Ah, would you like to have a discussion on gardening? Because oh, yes. I'm having trouble with my slugs. Oh. So. <laughs> I had slugs last year. Oh, dear. But it, it, um, my background, my good Lord, I started in this district as a parent in the 70s. So I've been around for a long time. I raised my children here. I went back to school to CNC uh, to get my degree. And I ended up in the PDP program and became a teacher. And started my career at at KGV, which is no longer King George uh, it, King George V, which is now the on the Duchess Park was on the Duchess Park oh site. Oh my! So I have a lot of background in terms of watching our city grow. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that I have enjoyed the most is how I've enjoyed watching our city mature in terms of our public education system, our uh, university, our college. I started at the college. And there were just a bunch of portables, and it was basically forestry that ran the. But they had begun a new university program, and and it was exciting. And uh, so, yes, I've had a very interesting background and career. I taught for thirty years, started at KGV, moved to High Glen, and uh, start, taught there for fifteen years, and then was very curious as to where my grade sevens went. So I wanted to know what was happening in the high school. Okay. So I managed to get uh, transfer into Kelly Road for a year, and uh, that was a wonderful experience. I remember the day I walked down the uh, corridor with all these high school students, and I'm thinking, wow, this is where I want to be. <laughs> and so, uh, and I stayed until yeah. I, I actually uh Retired. In, okay, so what did you teach there? I taught. I started out in te- teaching uh, English, uh, um, humanities, and I kept in. I stayed in the English department right through to the time when I retired. I was the department head for a while. Um, yes, I've had, uh, but I also had an extensive period of time uh, with the Pinch Dart Teachers Association. Okay, and I worked as their uh, professional development. Administrator, so it's been a really varied career. I have really enjoyed. 2005, when I retired, I said, "I'm not finished. I'm going to go back to something." And the trustee work came up, and I ran for the board, and here I am, so 17 been, years later. 17 years later—that is impressive, <laughs> and that's a number of elections, election cycles. It yeah. is a number, and yeah. they've all been exciting and different, and serving on five different boards has really given me an insight mm-hmm. into governance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and now you're the chair. And now, I, well, I was the chair for from 2011 to 2014. Oh, okay. I and uh, I've been the chair of management and finance for most of that period of time yes. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we all carry big loads. 
Yep. All right. Well, Betty, how about you? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know if I can come up to that kind of back end. <laughs> well, you're, but, you have, but you have your own story. so I do have my own story. So um, my husband and I moved here 33 years ago from Vancouver. Um, me, a little bit reluctant to move from Vancouver. But now, um, after all these years, uh, Prince George is definitely home. I love Prince George. I love the atmosphere. I love the people. So um, uh, I worked at the college for 15 years and placed students in their co-op work terms. So uh, are you familiar with cooperative ed? Yes, a little so, bit. So uh, placing students in their four-month uh, paid work terms. And I absolutely uh, loved co-op. I I'm a strong advocate for experience along with um, your academics, and usually they're the first ones hired after graduation, so I strongly believe in cooperative ed. So maybe, but for our listeners, maybe explain a little bit about that, because I'm not sure, are those programs still as popular? No. Well, uh, I'm sure they're popular, and everybody talks about the benefits of co-op, but um, so... Twelve years ago, they collapsed the co-op program at CNC, and then it wasn't long after that they did the same with UNBC. And I never quite understood that, and we have a huge affiliation with uh, National Cooperative Ed, uh, American Cooperative Ed. So um, I know that it's alive and well everywhere, even at TRU in Kamloops, but um, yeah, they just said it was for budgetary constraints, and uh, was I thought the loss of of one of the best practices at the College of New Caledonia was the collapse of the co-op program. So after that, um, after um, retiring, choosing to retire, I um, run decided to run politically. I had. Um, been involved with um, political parties for a long time, but um, I decided uh, I would run federally, and um, so I ran for Prince George Peace River, and um, and that was in 2008, and then um, then I was running against Jay Hill, which was like beating your head on a, a brick wall. <laughs> To Prince George Peace River. So um, then um, I took a hiatus and ran for school board and uh, was successful that 2011-2014 that Cheryl was chair and um, and then ran a second term. And uh, someone was uh, looking out for me at that time because I was not successful in uh, doing that second term. But my husband was very ill and um, had a long time of being uh, our primary caregiver for my husband and then uh, when he passed away in 2017 I decided I would run in 2018 so that's where we are now uh-huh. wow that's yeah that is that's that's an interesting story as well it's different than Cheryl's but <laughs> so um, just what you said about co-ops um, and you know I've got my notes of what I was going to talk about but of course I like to bounce it about off a little bit of what what you've just mentioned and like the the co-ops I see them a little like I I 
I totally agree. Like, I really think that we ought to be do, be doing more of them. Are there ways that that the uh, elementary and high school is there a way that you can incorporate that into that system? I think it's just starting now. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, now with the uh, elementary, and they're more working at um, hands-on experience for the grade sevens. So, uh, like the mobile. Um, um, Trades uh-huh. uh, vehicle that goes to all the schools is giving the uh, grade sevens an opportunity to do that hands-on, so they're more <clears throat> familiar with all the tools, what they do, um, and that's that's co-op. Yeah, but it's just um, not what I traditionally placed uh, co-op students in was a related uh, job to their field of study, so um, that becomes. Uh, um, just um, the best leg up for employment. Yeah, I mean, uh, so many times, like there's so much in, in like in, in the workforce, so much has changed. Uh, like when it used to be like when um, I mean the way I grew up, and I'm sure the way Cheryl certainly grew up, and I mean you grew up in probably in the city. Or um, no, no, uh, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. Oh, okay, Saskatchewan. So, all right, yeah. all right. Yeah. So I mean, you you underestimate how much you learn as a kid on a farm, mm-hmm. right? And now most kids aren't growing up on a farm, That's right. and it's, I mean, and one of the aspects of this is that our tools have become less child friendly, right? So I mean, you know, a, a three year old can't operate or can't you can't let them play with a drill like an electric drill. But you can let them play with a hammer. I mean, you know, in certain circumstances. But so much has changed. And and I think we really need to get smarter about how do we get kids into the adult world in in a safe way, but also in a way that challenges them and engages them. Because there's so much learning that happens, like, that's not from a book, right? I mean, uh, some kids are really, really academic, but not all of them are, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. one thing that I was going to mention, and I mean, Cheryl, you spent time at uh, at Kelly Road, which is now Shasti Kelly Road, yeah. uh, and I'm th- I was thinking as Betty was talking about the foods prog- uh, foods mm-hmm. program, right, where these kids are, the high school kids are cooking the school dinner uh, yes. or the lunch, right? <clears throat> is that something that was going on when you were there already? Oh yes, oh yes. But I, I think the the point that you're making right now is that experiential <laughs> learning is yep. part of the the new way in which we should be transitioning children into the world that they're going to know, and if we do more of that at the earlier ages and teachers become more familiar with that process of getting the kids out on the land. Uh, in sh- experiencing those opportunities, building, having an opportunity to participate. Like, as you say, we grew up, it, we grew up with that opportunity. Yeah. There were no fears no. to allow a child to play with tools and do explore and, and, but today's world is a little more, parents are more timid and the urban lifestyle doesn't lend itself. So yes, there's a lot of work we can do in our educational system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one thing that I had, I mean, sort of my thought was that about changes over the years of uh, in education, and um, but I mean, we've sort of already covered that. So what about 
from from your perspective, and I know that you guys took some positions during COVID that were, you know, you I know that you had some pushback. What what was your decision? Maybe start with Cheryl. Uh, just going back to that, uh, because what was the decision that you guys made? I'm just trying well, to remember now. COVID was a huge um, disruption. Yes, to the system, and so the decisions that had to be made were all about safety and cleanliness and and health and mental health and making sure that we were providing them the safest environment for in our educators for the students and so yes a lot of decisions had to be made but i think what you're referring to is the mask mandate okay and the the board did not make a decision that would require all employees to wear a mask the expectation was people would and but we didn't make it a requirement mm-hmm. and and uh or it's the vaccine i'm sorry i think it was the vaccine mandate okay. that you're talking about yes i need to go back yeah that, i know it's, it feels like a long time There's ago a now a lot of things went on at yep. that point and uh so to have everyone vaccinated yep. uh there was quite a uh, an issue around the province that they felt some Boards felt very strongly that right. all members should be vacu- vaccinated, and but the requirement did create some issues, and so this board chose not to have a mandate that everyone should be vaccinated, right. although we had processes in place to make sure that people were safe in their working environment. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Betty. Um, no, I, um, I don't have too much to add to that, except that um, it was... Um, I decision democratically decided that um, that uh, we would not do a mask mandate but um, we left it to uh, people to look after their own safety and mm-hmm. what they thought was right mm-hmm. so um, that was our position yeah and how did that work out like were the teachers fairly happy with that like did that work out quite well or I think that that um, the the fact that we weren't mandating, but we were giving opportunity for people to make personal choices was very important. Yeah. And the safety and health yeah. of our, the employee, the safety and health of the students, everyone had the, the same goal. Right. And so those people who felt comfortable, we, they felt comfortable with having that, not being required to do something, yeah. laying it heavily onto people. Yeah. So what about um, some of the mental health aspects of having kids? I mean, because there were that first initial, it was, schools were shut down March, right? Were they shut down? Was it March or was it March, April? Maybe it was April that it, schools were shut. Sh- it was in the spring. Yeah. The very first couple of months. Yeah. yeah, the first couple of months. And so basically, like, that was a massive transition for for, oh. the, for those poor teachers. <laughs> and yeah. for students. Yeah. And for students, families. This, uh, it was a huge <clears throat> disruption to our system. And so we're very thankful yeah. that we've passed through that, yeah. although COVID is still lingering in the background. But yeah. um, we've we've passed through that, that period. Yeah. Um, have you... So Betty, what about you? Have you, did you notice, like in in the schools, that because each of you is assigned schools, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you notice um, when they came back in the in the fall? Were the students like really pleased to be back, or what was your perception there? Well, I think there were probably some apprehension, but um, I think that um, just to be together, um, I think that's where some of the mental health issues came, mm-hmm. is that loneliness and isolation at home and not seeing your friends. And, of course, March and April are 
are really good times to get outside yes, to be able to do your outdoor sports and exercise and playing intramural. All of that was canceled. So it was a really tough time. But by fall, they were just hopeful. Yeah. 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 yeah I think. And I know like there's a lot of people that are really concerned, like, you know, um, just looking at subsequent waves and going, yeah, but they'll go golly. There's so much of the mental health aspect and the physical health, like just the physical activity and all of that that you have to consider. It's not as simple as saying, oh no, no, we'll just shut down schools because it, I know. I mean, that's just not a good, I mean, I mean, that's my, that's my opinion, of course, but I can see that that's a really hard decision to make and you just have to, Golly, I mean, it's about, I guess, in the end of the day, you, you're you as safe as possible and you just have to be willing to take the risk that comes with life, I guess. Well, it, the decision that had to be made was had to be made because it was a highly contagious illness. Yes. Yep. And uh, we were very, very frightened for all of us. Yep. The oh, public yeah. those, was... Those first few months, it yes. was a little bit terrifying. It, it was. It brought <laughs> out the, the fear of, of the unknown. In, in the public and in our school systems. So, uh, and we had to make good decisions that were in the best interest of everyone. And we did. Yeah. And we've made it through it. And, uh, I, I think our district was able to do its work in a very effective way. Our schools, mm-hmm. the cleanliness of our schools had never been more clean. And we hear that even now. Uh, that was a, uh, very important, and they would like to see that continued, and and so we want to keep that same level of hygiene in our schools so that other illnesses don't surface. Yep. All right. Well, it is time for a break, so uh, we'll uh, be back after this break with uh, Cheryl Warrington and Betty Beckering. Hi, Tim Yule here, host of Live from the Q3, a showcase of live music from artists from in and around the Prince George area. You heard that right. We have live music here every Wednesday night starting at 8 o'clock and then rebroadcast at 11 p.m. on Fridays. You can also listen to our archive performances on the CFIS website anytime. If you're anything like me, I think you're ready for some live and local music. Join me Wednesdays at 8 o'clock and then again Friday at 11 p.m. for Live in the Q3, only from 93.1 CFIS, Prince George's Community Radio Station. The Q3 Creative Business Hub is now open for space rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Rent a 100-square-foot office for as low as $470 a month, Wi-Fi included. Just need a desk to get out of the house? Use one in our open office environment for $260 a month, $160 for occasional drop-ins, or just $20 a day. For more information, email q3building at gmail.com. Q3 Creative Business Hub, open for desk and office rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats. Founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982, Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm. Winds from the south at 20 starting this afternoon, a high of 30 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight, clearing overnight with fog patches developing, a low of 11. For Friday, Sunday in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of thunderstorm in the afternoon, a high of 27 with a high UV index. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Okay, Trudy Clausen back with Trustees Warrington and Beckering. Thank you very much for coming in. So, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, okay, we'll take this segment to talk about difficult things. Um, <laughs> we had two trustees resign, and then we had a by-election. And... Um, I mean, I, like, I won't talk too much about that, but then, well, now, yeah, you've also got the lawsuit with the, with the superintendent. Um, how is that affecting the day-to-day operations at, for the board and with the superintendent? Like, how is that working? Well, we're determined to move ahead and move forward, so that's how it's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was just speaking with Betty just a few minutes ago, and one of the, our goals is to have a very remembering that we are two months into the end of our term, yep. and so mm-hmm. there will be a new board in its place in October 15th, and so ha- ensuring there's a smooth transition into the new, from the old board to the new board, is a, our goal. Mm-hmm. And so we have just continued to move forward. That's been our goal. Uh, the whatever ha- is happening on the peripheries, we are we address them and move on. And so our strategic plan, the framework for enhancing student learning, we're in the process right now of uh, preparing to sign an, a local education agreement with the Clayton Tenay. Uh, one is being developed, and and we will be signing with the McLeod Lake Indian Band. All of these initiatives are moving the district in a good direction. So. Um, we aren't going to let those other issues become headline news because the board's work is the board's work. We're here to govern. We're here to ensure that every child gets the most effective and highest quality of public education. And we're addressing the diverse needs of every child in our programs and, and supports. So, yes, moving forward is where we're going. And uh, we've all agreed as a board that we we will not focus on negative we will keep the the na- the narrative in a positive forward mo- motion and that will support the work of our district our superintendent uh, Cindy has done an incredible job of leading the district forward with the strategic plan with uh, building bridges between the, the nations and and the district uh, with ad- addressing issues within the organization of the district. So we are, we're in a, on a good path, a very good path. And that's the goal we have set for ourselves and we'll continue on it. Okay. All right. Uh, so Betty, do you want to comment on that or, or? Well, um, coming here, I was thinking of, of what my emphasis, uh, would be. And I really, uh, like to not dwell on what has uh, we've done. I'd like to emphasize um, our work on what we need to do. And um, I, I really see some exciting times coming for us with the Indigenous Education uh, Leadership Table. I, I really believe that we're in a good spot with our Indigenous uh, leaders, and I'm really excited about working uh, towards that with them. I know that our strategic plan emphasizes indigenous culture and education and language and I see that just um, being a real insurgence in our um, in our uh, plan for the for the fall and I'm excited about that I I see um, 
so many of our new policies that we um, passed in June uh, will come to fruition in the in September, and that means a whole change to our standing committees, uh, the commi- the meeting times, our board meetings. The whole structure is going to be very different, and I'm excited about um, being a part of that. So, okay, there's a few different areas that I, but let me, I hadn't written this down and, and I'm glad that you mentioned the policies because this is something I know that DPAC has worked really hard on. So how, what is the diff, can you talk a little bit about the structures uh, and the meetings, how that is going to be changing with the, the new the new policies? Well, the policies are uh, mostly <clears throat> doing, uh, to deal with uh, access to the board and uh, that, that was a big issue with um, DPAC and uh, they uh, really worked hard with that on developing a new process to have access to the board and an appeal process. And I'm excited about that as well. It was really good collaborative work, and I'm uh, really happy to have been a part of that. And another is uh, the racism policy. We have... um, just a lot of work to do on that in our city and we know that systemic racism and racism exists in our our community and we really want to uh, show a new path forward with that where racism is just minimized and we can um, yeah I just I'm excited to work on that as well but um we collaborated on um, uh, some, several of our our partner groups to uh, work on those development of policies, and they were really happy to be a part of that as well. So um, maybe Cheryl, if you can talk, like, and because there was a letter to the editor by Erica McLean, a teacher who had quit, and mm-hmm. and she identified some of these the efforts to deal with racism in in the education system as particularly here i mean because her experience was here in SD57 and she was quitting because it was she was finding her like she herself is indigenous and she was just finding that the atmosphere just was not conducive um have you been getting pushback on some of the initiatives that you're taking well i think what i'm going to say is nothing about us without us and that is basically how uh, the relationship between the board, the district, and the Indigenous community is functioning. We are working very hard to be inclusive, but to re- respect the diversities that are out there. And in terms of pushback, individuals will always push back in certain areas when they, they find that they are feeling pressure. Um, that's that's a given. Um, the important thing is that when you hear of negative or unhappy people, that you don't ignore it. You pay attention and make sure that any issues that seem to be lurking in the in the background are being addressed. And that's what our staff does. That's what our district is is working on. Our senior team is paying close attention to all of the issues that are could be surfacing behind the scenes in the district. Um, and we're all very aware that there are those who are, are feeling uncomfortable about where they're at. And that would be their choice to decide to move on, Or, uh, but it's important that we pay attention. 
Okay. All right. Well, it's uh, I'm talking with Cheryl Warrington and trust and uh, and Betty Beckering, trustees, and we'll be back after this break. If you're a dental hygienist that wants to become certified in administering anesthesia, CNC has a two-part course just for you. Online theory starts September 19th, followed by the clinical part of the course for certification on January 7th. Registration for accredited dental hygienists and full details are available through the continuing education at CNC. Local Anesthesia for Dental Hygienists, a two-part certification course at CNC. Registration deadline for the online theory, providing 30 hours of theoretical foundations, is September 9th. Learn to build realistic plans for attracting diverse sources of revenue with Vantage Point's Raising the Right Revenue. This eight-session fund development lab is for executive directors and those responsible for the financial sustainability of their not-for-profit organization. Registration and full details are available through the All Labs link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Raising the Right Revenue, a fund development lab. Thursday afternoons from 1 to 4 starting October 6th through thevantagepoint.ca. Northern BC Crime Stoppers is inviting you to our very popular Fall Drive Community Shredded event Saturday, September 24th, 10 to 2 at the PGSS parking lot. It's your opportunity to shred your personal important documents safely and securely. $5 minimum donation per bag or box. And for another $5 donation, you can enjoy a tasty Mr. Mike's barbecue from 10.30 to 1.30. See us Saturday, September 24th from 10 to 2 at the PGSS parking lot for the Northern BC Crime Stoppers Fall Community Shredded event. Tickets are available for Vantage Point's Building Organizational and Sector Sustainability Conference. November 15th and 16th, join not-for-profit leadership peers and stakeholders in conversation and learning around this year's theme, Healthy Sustainable Work. Registration and full details are available at bossvancouver.ca. Vantage Point's Building Organizational and Sector Sustainability Conference, November 15th and 16th. Early bird pricing is available through Monday. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with uh, Trustees Beckering and Warrington. Um, just one thing that I've been asking trustees about every time is graduation rates mm-hmm. and how are we going to improve them because we're not doing too well. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Betty, you... <laughs> Absolutely. I I can speak to that. Um, I went to, um, I think, four or five of the Indigenous uh, graduations in spring. And um, you have to know that um, the uh, enthusiasm and the excitement of uh, having been connected to grad coaches through the year was an incredible boost to um, to uh, ensuring that we were going to have an increase in our graduation rates and an excitement about learning. And um, all these goals that were set uh, by the grad coaches with each of the graduates was um, just the very best strategy. And the data that came from that is phenomenal, uh, Trudy. It was um, just the very best So can you explain that? Grad coaches, that's a new term to me. It is. And um, what it is is uh, each graduate is is connected to a coach who uh, developed um, a plan with with each of the grads to this is uh, how you will move from here to here. And um, at the beginning of their uh, connection with the grad coach, some of the um, uh, outcomes of... um, 
They're possibly graduating looked quite dismal. By the end, it had gone from, say, 90 who were uh, at risk of not graduating to very low numbers of, uh, of students at risk. It was exciting. So what was the difference? What did they do? Well, keep moving them forward and connecting with them, I think, weekly and uh, working alongside of them to make sure that they were attending, that they were uh, learning, that they were moving forward towards um, their goal of graduating. So it starts in grade 10, and uh, they'll just keep moving forward with them, grade 11, grade 12. It's uh, just a wonderful process, and um, we just really are endorsing that it continue. So, um, Cheryl, is this a new thing? Yes, it is. It, we uh, they we adopted grad coaches, uh, I think, a year ago, and every school, every high school has a grad coach. Um, I'm not sure if PGSS has more than one. I think PGSS may have two. They... We're hoping to see their, the time of grad coaches, their teachers that are, work off this as part of their teaching assignment to do this work. Uh, Betty has explained it extremely well. Uh, and so the initiative will continue next year and in all likelihood, I believe, and I think the board would support this, <laughs> would be to increase the uh, time allotment that grad coaches would have with, to be able to engage with each one of the students. So this has made a difference for Indigenous children. Uh, so is that just for Indigenous children, or is that for... It's uh, basically, at this point, it's the it's the grad coaches are working with Indigenous children yeah. at okay. risk. Okay. So what about... Um, um, so is this all Indigenous children or just the Clayton and, and... Oh, no, all, no. All, 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 all of the Indigenous children that attend in our schools. Okay. So, I mean, as you know, that like the grad rates across the board uh, in the district are, are not great. So are you making an effort as well to expand it to the other, to, to non-Indigenous students or...? Well, at this point, those conversations will take place. Of course, we want to see grad rates increase across the board for every student, non-Indigenous and Indigenous, uh, and those conversations will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, it's, I mean, it, I think that's that sounds to me like a great idea because it, it what it provides is, is sort of a, not, not necessarily an accountability, but maybe, but sort of a mentor relationship, right? It is. Um, and I'm going to start sneezing here pretty quick. <laughs> um, so, one thing... Um, that was a little bit concerning to me is that with uh, coming back from COVID, that teachers were re. I, someone was telling me this that teachers were rewriting learning plans to lower the standards. Is that something that's no. been happening? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Never not at all. Happened. And that 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 would be an inaccurate <laughs> statement completely. Okay. Our teachers, the learning plans will continue to be um, <coughs> developed in order to meet the needs of every student. Uh, and that's unfortunate that you have a cough. <laughs> yes. So maybe if you can talk a little bit, I need, I will need to have a drink of water. So just for Go a few ahead. minutes about that. Okay. <coughs> well, uh, in, ter- <coughs> in terms of, uh, I'm just going to, uh, learning plans. the learning plans of, Go ahead, Betty. Go ahead. Mm. Well, I think that, um, <coughs> 
I need to give credit to all of our teachers yes. in School District 57. I don't think uh, there would be any of them that would want to lower the standards no. of their learning plans. I think they want to be exemplary. I think that they want to mo- they're very student focused and I really want the students to learn and um yeah, I can't say enough about that couldn't be a possibility that okay. they would lower their standards. All right. Well, thank you, ladies. Uh, so what about one thing that I know um, just in my time at DPAC and going to the BC uh, DPAC or the CPAC convention, um, a teacher talking about allowing, giving our teachers more freedom to experiment in the classrooms. Is that something like to give them... Um, an opportunity to make mistakes and to try things. Is that something that the school district is working on? Oh, that's very part, very much a part of our strategic plan, that um, there is that sort of um, openness to uh, new ideas, um, trying to be creative with the students for them to develop their own critical thinking. Um, it's um, absolutely a part of our plan, and we're absolutely allowing that. Yeah. Well, across the board, uh, education has changed, and and student focused learning has been a major um, transitional uh, engagement with between teachers and students for a long, long time. And so, I, I Betty is right. The experiential learning that we are encouraging in our schools comes from that student focused student-centered, student-focused learning uh, process. And the more that we do of that, the better students will engage in their own learning. They will take ownership of their own learning. So all of that is part of the work that our strategic plan is uh, and teachers across the board are working on. All right. Okay. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back after this. Mark your calendar on Thursday, November 3rd for Advocate Life and Education Services annual Celebrate Life Gala. Enjoy an amazing dinner and hear from special guest speaker Rebecca Hagen, one of today's youngest speakers on the issues of teen pregnancy, abortion, and abortion pill reversal. Check out the gala website, CelebrateLifeGala.ca, for more details and to get your tickets. Advocate Life's annual Celebrate Life Gala, Thursday, November 3rd from 7 to 9 at the Civic Center. The Great Northwest Fiber Fest hits the Connaught Youth Center Sunday, September 11th from 10 to 3. It's the annual gathering of fiber lovers, artists, dyers, makers, creators, and vendors. All the things you need for your knitting, crocheting, weaving, and felting, plus vendors from across Canada's Great Northwest, along with classes and demos. Meet your fiber-loving friends. Check out greatnwfiberfest.ca for more information. The Great Northwest Fiber Fest, Sunday, September 11th from 10 to 3 at the Connaught Youth Center. See you there. Prince George RCMP is asking you to keep a watch out for 69-year-old Paul Philip Kopp. Neighbors last saw Paul on July 18th. Mr. Kopp is described as a Caucasian male, 5'7", 170 pounds, with green eyes, gray hair, and a short mustache. Kopp has multiple tattoos on both arms and was last seen wearing a gray-green vest and carrying a black backpack. If you have any information on Paul Kopp's whereabouts, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. 
Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm. Winds from the south at 20 starting this afternoon, a high of 30 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight, clearing overnight with fog patches developing a low of 11. For Friday, Sunday in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers and the risk of thunderstorm in the afternoon, a high of 27 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with uh, Betty Beckering and Cheryl Warrington, trustees for School District 57. Um, one thing that I was just talking with a college instructor, um, and they're a little bit concerned about and and I and I hope this is changing. And I and I like the idea of the grad coach and, and that that's going to you know improve the product uh, or improve the outcomes for kids, right? I mean that's what we're looking for. Um, one concern that he had is is that maybe class sizes are just a little bit big for where we are at. Is that something that that the school board has looked at, Cheryl? Maybe. Well, you know that class size has always been an issue, um, but. In terms of how we address it, um, every school organizes itself according to the needs of the students in the school and the uh, supports that are available. And so class sizes are kept at a, at a minimum wherever they can. And so that would be an, an initiative that the board would, would support. Uh, it's more about the supports that you put in place in your classroom in order to enhance the learning that takes place there. And so how many supports we can possibly put into our schools to ensure that teachers get the support that they need and that the support service support people get the support that they need because it all works hand in hand. It's all about making sure we're getting providing the best quality education for every child. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the class size it has a, has a bearing. Yes. Yeah. So that actually segues nicely into the next question that I had is the special funding. Like the province has changed the formula for, uh, what is it called these days? Is it special needs funding? Like how it's distributed? That it's by postal code? Or Postal something? Code, or, well, that. well, something, no. Okay. So, but it was okay. di- done, um, maybe it was according to the catchment area of each school, like the percentages, or how is that? Like, what, what am I getting wrong? Well, there? I know that, um, uh, instead we, of, instead of per student, right? Because wasn't that the change that was made? Oh, no. no, we still have per student funding, but uh, there is a pocket of money that was allocated to each of the school districts for special needs, and uh, that will be up to the special <coughs> needs department, and they will put forward what they hope uh, to propose for the use of the money, and then that will be approved by the board. Okay, and so, but that's a little bit different than it used to be done, right? Uh, well, uh, the special needs funding comes as part of the, the large budget uh, that comes from the government. So we get a, a percent. Uh, the, we get <clears throat> funding for individual students if we have different uh, levels of students, level one, level two, level three, each one of those levels gets a certain number of dollars. Those dollars come into the school district, and they're used to address the needs of the special needs children in the district. That's how the funding has worked in the past, and Betty's right, This the department and the administrators of schools and 
along with the superintendent and assistant superintendents, all work towards addressing how those special needs funds will be allocated to schools. So, so who makes that determination? Because didn't it used to be that, like, if a child was assessed, then and they were entitled to a half time, um, like that. That was the the language I think that was used, like to a half time EA. Mm-hmm. But then it didn't necessarily work out like that because that's what's been changed, right? Uh, Children the, not needing an assessment. Oh, no, there will I? always be an assessment. Oh, okay, of okay. Children, yeah. uh, in terms of their their needs. Okay, and there will always be supports in place to ensure that those needs are being met. If the government is changing its funding process. It hasn't changed dramatically at that, this time. Okay. We are still functioning with the same funding that we received last year for the, each level of okay. students. Yep. So I'm not sure what information you have. Well, but this was that, from a few years ago. When that it information came up. isn't clear. Okay. Uh, has, has not changed. Has not changed. Okay. No. Okay. So what about, are there any plans to bring in a, uh, uh, gosh, I'm not going to say the word right, baccalaureate program? Where, like, for the gifted students, oh, the like the IA, math, international yeah. baccalaureate, e- baccalaureate, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, any plans for those? Because that was one thing when I was campaigning for trustee that I heard at doors was people concerned for programs for gifted children. I'm sorry, Cheryl. I have to turn that over to you. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I think individual. Uh, no, this is. Heard. There hasn't been any discussion at this point at the board level <coughs> around having that particular kind of program available to students in their graduation years. Um, in terms of addressing gifted children, uh, there again, that's how our schools develop programs that make sure that every child gets the quality and of education that they need so that those diverse needs are being addressed. Um, it, in terms of a specific gifted program, no, we don't have any at this time a specific gifted program. No, not in our school system. Okay. All right. Um, so how, um, like in terms of, and I know like you've got the superintendent who's they, I mean, they're your one employee, employee, yes. right? Uh, one question that I had someone come in, I mean, you know, because I'm having these regularly with, with the trustees, so I'm getting a few questions from people. Uh, they were asking about, someone was asking about, has there been an increase in principals and vice principals over the past year? Uh, you're, you're meaning in terms of numbers? Yes. Um, the schools still have the same numbers of principals and vice principals. Okay. That hasn't changed um, at all. Okay. Yeah. All right. And do you still have schools that um, that share a principal like across? Because um, I think it was at the time when my daughter was still in school, there were a few schools where one principal was taking care of two schools. I think there's just two. Okay. And um, Giskin. Yeah. And and uh, Hickson. Hickson and yes. Okay. And, um, those, are the two. those are yeah. the two. Okay, so yeah. that principal, is that a principal for Giscombe and Hickson, or is it someone from town? No, no, it, that principal from, shared, from yeah. they share. So the principal at, in the past, and I believe it's still the same, uh, for Hickson, it would be the principal at Buckhorn would have uh, a, an oversight of the organization of Hickson. But right. there's a vice principal at Hickson, yeah. right. and the same thing is true of... 
guest guest come that would be Blackburn, the okay. the, the school super uh, principal at Blackburn would have oversight of the Giscom School, but there is a vice principal yeah. in Giscom. Okay, all right. Well, we're back to, uh, it's time for another break. We'll be back <laughs> after this. Thank you very much. The Prince George Council of Seniors is now hiring housekeepers for the United Way of Northern BC's Better at Home program. Working 25 to 30 hours per week, cleaners must have a valid driver's license and a reliable vehicle, be bondable, and must go through a criminal record check. Full details are available through the Prince George Council of Seniors. Call 250-564-5888 or stop by the office at the corner of 7th and Victoria. BC Schizophrenia Society's annual general meeting is Saturday, October 15th. Save the date and take part to support the organization and its efforts to improve education and understanding of schizophrenia and psychosis across the province. Find out more about the Society's board through the board and staff link under About Us or become a member through the Make a Difference menu at bcss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society AGM, Saturday, October 15th. A reason to hope, the means to cope. Summer Art Monkeys is back. Studio 2880's popular kids program is Wednesday mornings through July and August with a wide variety of projects to keep your child entertained. Art journaling, clay works, nature art, and artful goop. Each camp is led by a top local artisan. Cost is just $45 per workshop with easy online sign-up at studio2880.com. Summer Art Monkeys, Wednesday mornings from 9 to noon through August 24th at Studio 2880. The Grizzly Bear Foundation is a charitable organization dedicated to the welfare of the grizzly bear across North America. Guided by science and indigenous knowledge, the Grizzly Bear Foundation works with indigenous partners to support the conservation of grizzly bears through research, public education, and advocacy. Indigenous-led conservation encoded within traditional teachings, song, dance, art, and laws of First Nations serve as an essential knowledge in grizzly bear conservation. For more information on the Grizzly Bear Foundation, visit grizzlybearfoundation.com. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back for our last segment. I just wanted to circle back a little bit to a concern that I heard. Um, and this is, you know, it seems to be that you guys, I'm expressing a concern that I hear, and then you guys, you know, give your piece. Um, one concern about the Indigenous Education uh, Leadership Table was uh, because they're only representing a small portion of of uh, the student population how uh, they seem to have it could be that there it's there's a perception that they might have an oversized influence on what's going on in the schools how like how would you answer that like if someone came to you and said wait a minute they've only got like four percent of the student population why are they getting a special spot well, it sounds like 4%, but really, um, yeah, it's uh, 30% of our population are Indigenous. So I see, I think that, um, I think what's really happened with the Indigenous community <coughs> and the leadership is that the discovery of the 215 unmarked graves in uh, Kamloops really gave them voice. And I think they just really want to be heard. And, um, and I think for a while, uh, we need to hear, hear their truths and hear what they have to say because for so long they were silenced. And I, 
I really believe that this is the time we need to hear them. If it sounds like they uh, have uh, a bigger leadership um, than, and in uh, this ind- Indigenous education leadership table, I think we need to allow that and um, and for sure make our, our um, wants and needs uh, known as well. And it's just such a beginning of the IELT that... Um, I think there needs to be this uh, keeping moving forward and listening to what uh, the Indigenous community have to say. So, um, Cheryl, how about you? Is that something that you would, would you add anything to that or to that concern, like in, in addressing that concern? Well, it's important to note that the Indigenous Leadership Table is made up of the rights holders of the uh, ancestral lands of this, the Claytley Tanay and the McLeod Lake Indian Band and is honoring that relationship that we share. And so the Indigenous Leadership Table is really there to speak on behalf of all Indigenous children. If you were there at the table, you will hear that, that they, they are there to support in the the language culture the uh the the educational opportunities that we need to address that haven't been addressed and we have a lot of work to be done in in working in, alongside the indigenous leadership table they are strong uh leaders of their communities and they believe strongly in the importance of the indigenous children are not left behind they're not uh, ignored, and it's time. It's it is time, as Betty said. We have discovered that every child matters, and and that understanding that yes, we we need to be paying attention to their voice. We need to be listening, and we need to heed that they have an opportunity now to move their people forward in a very positive way, and we should work alongside them to make sure that happens. Okay. All right. So, um, so just, we've got a few minutes left. So Betty, what are your plans? Are you, are you planning to run again? I am. I have, I have announced that, uh, I will run again. And, um, I, my plans are to, um, move forward with my experience. I think that, um, uh, having some incumbents on the board is so important with all that's happened in the last couple of years and uh, the new path that we have going forward. Um, I really want to be a part of that. <clears throat> I, um, the quote that uh, always stays in my head is uh, Murray Sinclair saying, uh, uh, education got us into this mess and education will get us out. And I really believe that we're on the path to um, actually being able to make a difference in uh, our inclusion, um, moving forward with the, our Prince George School District, and um, I just want to be a part of that. Okay. All right. Um, how, <laughs> how about Cheryl? Uh, how about Cheryl? Right. How about Cheryl? Well, right now, um, we've got two months left. And that two months is going to be focused on creating a smooth transition between the outgoing board and the incoming board. That's my goal right now. All right. And it will be my goal. And at the end of, uh, I'm undecided about the, the move forward. As I said, I have, uh, 
Uh, I'm 82 years old. Everyone should know that. I have put 17 oh, years. Oh, good for you. I'm glad that you... <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit my age. Uh, and 82 is uh, an age where you have to look at if a commitment you make, and I make when I make a commitment, I make it full. For four more years, I would be 86 and do the math. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a long haul between 86 and 100, and I intend to live to 110, but I probably will have to, to really do some serious thinking before September 9th when I have to decide whether I would announce one way or the other. Uh, but as at this point, it is that smooth transition between our outgoing board and the incoming board, that is my goal. All right. Okay, so, uh, and I underestim- over- underestimated a little bit or overestimated how much time we had. Um, so I'll just ask, what would you say to those people who are considering running again, maybe, or running who never have or have run before and unsuccessfully? Oh. What would you... I encourage, I encourage, if you're interested in the work of the board, in governance, in the uh, work of the district, uh, do some homework. Get in there and look at what's going on and what issues that you uh, have strong feelings about. Uh, also, the importance of what a good governing body does. We are a team that works for all students and expects, and we expect that. We should be expect that, that of a, of a, a new board. That we, we, that we've come together as diverse people with different issues and interests, but you form goals that are in the best interest of the district. But if people are interested in running, they should do some homework first and then put their name forward. Right. If they believe they can offer something, they should put their name forward. Okay, well, last word to you, uh, Betty. What would you, how, what would you recommend someone interested in running for the board do at this, just in the last? Oh, I think, um, go into the school district, pick up a nomination package. In there is all the information you need to, um, sort of answer all your questions, um, and just get going. And, um, and be prepared for, um, putting forward uh, the students first and um, just really enhancing our school district. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, ladies, for coming in thank and uh, for bearing with my coughing fit. And uh, <laughs> Thank you for and, inviting us. All right. And, Thanks, Judy. Okay. And we'll be back tomorrow with After 9. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated.